0: It's Christmas morning, let's open up a Well, I got an earth gun, I got a hat I got an autographed baseball bat I got a telescope, I got a globe I got a watch, and I got a robe I got hawk hands, I got a tie I got a copy of the catcher in the ride I got a drum set, I got a phone I got a pen, and I got a robe I got an outdoor pizza oven And I got a cameo This robe, guys, this is great. I got headphones. I got a wig. We got the piano from Big. I got a vintage pinball machine. And I'm gonna make us breakfast. In my brand new robe, which I love so much. It's really, really soft. Oh, it's on sale. I got a I got shades. We got pairs of rollerblades. I got a Lego millennial falcon. And I burned my arm in the oven. It hurt pretty bad, but I didn't even scream, because I keep the pain inside of me. of nice cologne and mine is completely empty just a big flat sock with nothing inside only hang it up because it looks kind of weird if it's missing in our pictures hold on now what's this i see a few more presents beneath the tree looks like someone's got a big surprise oh you guys really didn't need to get me it's presents for the dog He got a bone and a squeaky toy And peanut butter treats Cause he's he's a good good boy So many presents, but he deserves it And he got a robe It's Christmas morning Let's take a family picture John, I don't have any makeup on I was up until four in the morning What a great picture Let's post it on the internet Yeah, why not? Uh, Yeah can anyone relate to the mom in that? <laughs> Some of you immediately, yes. Let's give God praise for moms, huh? Yeah. How about it? Or whoever it is in your family who has, who has that role. What do you want for Christmas? What do you feel like you're missing for Christmas? We're going to get into that today. Uh, it's great to be with you. Uh, my name's Danny. I'm a, I'm a pastor here at Hope. And I just love, absolutely love seeing more and more Um, of you showing up here on Sunday mornings. It's such a privilege to be here. We say it all the time, and we mean it. We believe it's no accident that you're here. We've been praying for you. So it is wonderful to be able to worship with you again this morning. So again, what do you want for Christmas? What do you feel like you're missing for Christmas? Um, I've said this before, but I, I really think that my favorite question that I ever received growing up was, what do you want for Christmas? Every single year, my parents would ask, what do you want for Christmas? And I looked forward to it. And when I was young, it was so easy to answer that question. What do you want for Christmas? Rollerblades, bike, video games, dog, whatever it is. What do you want for Christmas? I want it. And why do you make a Christmas list? You make a Christmas list because in your mind, you can think of things that will complete your list of needs in life. Add a little bit more, and you'll feel complete, whole, finished. And maybe you do feel like that for a little bit, but it doesn't last, does it? A couple of weeks ago, I was sitting in at uh, Power Life, which is our uh, ministry for our junior high students. It's our confirmation program. And the speaker for the week, his name is uh, Zach, he asked the students, if Christmas lists were ever enough, why do we keep making them? I haven't been able to shake that question since. If Christmas lists were ever enough, why do we keep making them? You ever notice something so interesting about as the years pass? Maybe you can relate to this, but the older I get, the harder it is to answer the question, "What do you want for Christmas?" because I'm having a harder time realizing what is it that I'm what is it that I'm missing? What do I need to make me feel complete? My wife has asked me multiple times, Danny, what do you want for Christmas? And I keep on putting off the question. I don't know. Come back to me. I don't, I don't know. Meanwhile, if I ask my wife, what do you want for Christmas? Stools. I want stools. Here's the serial number. Uh, make sure that you get the right color. I like cream. Okay, you know. Some of us know what we're missing in life, right? Well, what are you missing? What do you believe it is that's going to fill you? Jesus said in John chapter 10, my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. In the biblical Greek there, what he's literally saying is, I want to give you life and life to the full, overflowing life. That's the kind of life that God wants to give you, a life that doesn't feel like you're missing something, a life that doesn't feel like you have to add anything else, but you are truly full. But a lot of us don't feel that way, and we're having a hard time putting our finger on whatever it is that's missing. Abbott is a global health uh, organization, and they put out a study within the last couple of years. They asked two million people across the globe, are you experiencing fulfillment? In this country, one out of 10 people said they're experiencing fulfillment in their life right now. They feel like their life is full. They're not missing anything. One out of 10. That's incredible to me. There's some other shocking stuff on this survey. Out of the 80 countries that were represented on this survey, the United States ranked 68th for how many people feel fulfilled, feel like their life is complete, like they're not missing things. Now, in one regard, there's just some self-awareness there, which is not a terrible thing. But how is it possible? Half the people who were surveyed on that said that a major key to feeling fulfilled in your life is by having access to money. And there's truth to that, I think. But then why is the country with the largest economy in the world and the bottom 15% of people who feel fulfilled? What is it that we're missing? Why can't we put our finger on it? It's nothing new. People have been feeling like things are missing in their life for a long time. 700 years before Jesus lived, there was a prophet named Isaiah. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, Isaiah? Isaiah is a, a, a powerful Huge book in the Bible. When we talk about theology, when we talk about understanding who God is, what God's purpose is for the world, a great book to turn to is Isaiah. Because in the book of Isaiah, we meet a group of people who are missing something, and we learn about how God wants to fill their lives and what God wants to put into their life in order to complete them, to help them experience fulfillment. See, in those days, God's people, also known as Israel... They were missing something. They had turned away from God. Their nation was divided into a land called Judah. And then the southern kingdoms, made up of 10 other tribes of Israel. They're split up. They're at odds. They're about to head into exile. Their life was constantly on the edge. They were always on the brink of losing everything. And within about 100 years of the book of Isaiah, they would. They were missing things. And Isaiah, as a prophet, his job was to communicate God's word to the people. Oftentimes, prophets were called to communicate to the people, here's what you're missing about God. Which also means, here's what you're missing about the most important things in your life. He says, you're not going to be missing everything forever. Instead, the prophet Isaiah says this, in that day, everyone in the land of Judah, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, will sing this, will sing this song. Our city is strong. We are surrounded by the walls of God's salvation. God is saying, you're missing something. The way that I want to complete you is by giving you my complete protection. As if to say, I want to provide a fortress for you and it is my protection over your life. You know, it's incredible. No matter matter how many things we have, if there's one piece missing in that wall, if there's one piece missing in that fortress, if there's one piece missing in that protection, if there's one thing that's not letting us feel secure, everything's at a loss. Doesn't it feel like that? We feel stressed out, we feel anxious, we freak out, we lash out, maybe we check out. We have a hard time. God is saying you're missing pieces of your fortress and I wanna put that back together for you. This week, my wife and I, we got a coffee table. Um, We had ordered it about a month ago and it finally came in. And uh, we were excited about this coffee table. We moved into a house in April and uh, so we're taking our time getting our furniture. The kitchen table's coming next, you know. (laughs) So the coffee table came in and I was really excited until the box shows up and you open it and of course it has that fine print that says some assembly required. (laughs) I will tell you this, if you get something in life and it requires a seven page map, it's not fun anymore, right? Like it ruins the present, it ruins the gift. It's kind of like, you know, the day before Christmas, I'd hear Santa bring the presents, then I hear my dad frustrated downstairs assembling them, right? I don't understand how that worked, but nonetheless, ruin the joy. And the hard part about it is as I'm assembling this, I just have this thought in my head, "Oh my goodness, what if I don't have all the pieces?" And so I'm looking through this, and I'm like going through page by page. I'm following every single step. Okay, what do I need? I've got it all on the list. I'm doing everything right. I'm following everything in this. Meanwhile, my, my, my living room looks like a combination of, of Kmart, of Menards, of Legoland, just all of it spewed out. And right when I'm about to get to the end, I'm missing a bolt. I'm missing a rod. And for the next two and a half hours... I tried to come up with some sort of substitute to how to complete this coffee table that I couldn't complete on my own. Mind you, I started this project around midnight. (laughs) Eventually, my wife comes down the stairs, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, did I wake you? She said, no, my alarm clock did. It's morning. (laughs) I stand up, I look at the thing. I'm like, I'm done, it's, you know. It was incomplete. I had all these pieces, but I was missing something. You might have everything, but if you're missing something, it bothers you, doesn't it? The people of Israel, they were missing something. I mean, they had a lot. They had their families. They had entered the promised land long long before this. They had had success with kings. They had failures with kings. They had all sorts of different things, right? Ups and downs. They had success. They had failure. But they were missing something, they were incomplete. And Isaiah promised it's not going to be like this forever. Your life is in ruins now, but God's not going to leave it that way. Your projects are tilting, but he's going to come and straighten them out. He says that you'll know about this because you'll be singing songs, but furthermore, you'll also feel something. The prophet continues in Isaiah chapter 26, you will keep, you will keep in perfect peace. Now, the, the prophet Isaiah is speaking like to God at this point about the people. So Isaiah, is, if he's saying to God about the people, for the people to hear, kind of like listening in on a conversation that Isaiah is having with God. If a prophet's having a conversation with God, you want to listen in on that. So the prophet Isaiah says, God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You think, oh, yeah, of course, to have peace in my, or to have completion in my life, I'd want to feel peace. But isn't that, isn't that like kind of interesting? Like, what do you think of when you think of peace? When we think of peace, we automatically think of absence, we don't think of more things that we want. Oftentimes, we think of absence. We think of absence of war. We think of absence of anxiety. We think of absence of distractions. We think of absence of sickness. We think of absence of troubles. We think of absence of things when we think about peace. But that's not what it means in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there's a word for peace. It's this. It's shalom. Everyone say Shalom. Shalom is a popular word even today. It's a word that kind of transcends uh, world languages, and so maybe you've heard it before. Even uh, modern Hebrew speakers will say shalom to one another in greeting and in their farewells. But shalom, it does mean peace, but quite literally, what it means is completeness and wholeness. Isn't that interesting? To have peace is to be complete. It's to be whole. So now if we go back to that passage in Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah is saying to God, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isaiah is not saying that your life is going to be in peace once everything goes away that's bothering you, but instead it's saying you will experience peace when you're focused on God. I think a really simple way to to express this is something that I've heard from many, many pastors before. Maybe you've heard this. Peace isn't found in the absence of troubles. Peace is found in the presence of God. How many of us are waiting for things to go away? How many of us are anticipating Christmas and just trying to get through something? Maybe some of you are trying to get through finals. Maybe some of you are just trying to get through these last couple weeks of dropping your kids off at school every single week. Maybe some of you are just trying to get through that last rush through the end of the year so you can finally get rid of those things, ignore them, be distracted, and then you'll have peace, right? But God does not tell us that peace shows up when the problems go away. In fact, God never promises us in the Bible that our problems will go away. But God says, I know what you want for Christmas. I know what you want to be whole. I know you want peace. So he knows we want him. Peace is not found in the absence of troubles. It's found in the presence of God. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John chapter 1, verse 14. It, it's, it's, it's short, it's poetic, it's beautiful. It's, the word became human. The Word became human. What, what's the Word? The Word, in the book of John, chapter 1, it's identified as God. It coincides God with the Word. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and nothing came to creation except through the Word. Like, the Word is the creative Word of God. And so whatever God says, that Word creates. And then, in the book of John, chapter 1, it names that Word, and it says, this Word is Jesus. And so God becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. Now here's where the thing about Christmas, I think, really shocks us. Because when we think about Christmas, it's one of those holidays that the entire world, for the most part, has kind of embraced. They've embraced Christmas in a way that they've never embraced Good Friday or Easter. Because Good Friday and Easter are very convicting right on the surface, right? Like, Good Friday, hey, Jesus died for my sins, whoa! Easter, Jesus is going to give me a resurrection, but I'm going to have to die. Oh wow. Oh. Lots of kind of tough stuff, but, but Christmas, you know, peace on earth, kindness, goodwill, the season of giving. Time for family to get together and we just think, well, well, Christmas is just this easygoing season, but I think Christmas is a little more convicting than that, isn't it? Because Christmas is not just because things fade away. We don't experience the goodness, the fun, the joy, the peace of Christmas, because things go away. We experience Christmas because of the God who shows up. But why does the God sh- why does God show up? Why did the Word become flesh? When I was a kid, my friend, my siblings and I, we would oftentimes play in the basement. And when we were playing in the basement, my parents would be upstairs, and I don't know, and and, and hanging around. And um, sometimes, like usual for kids, we would get pretty rowdy in the basement. You know, maybe they'd hear a thud. Maybe they'd hear a scream. Try to control it, you know, try to, you know, um, have it our way. You know, my sister offends me. I try to force her to apologize to me. You know, I say something to my brother, and he screams at me. And sure enough, eventually, you hear my parents say something along the lines of, don't make me come down there. (laughs) And they could say it a few times, but eventually, they would come down there. Their word became flesh, right? (laughs) Like their word became human. Like we couldn't create the peace for ourselves in the basement, could we? And if you're a parent, you probably know that's true. Or if you're just a human, you know that's true. We've been trying for a long time to create our own peace, haven't we? We struggle with it. Everybody in the world, I think, wants peace, right? Like, you don't meet anybody and you're like, hey, what do you want in the world? Well, not peace. That would be awful. <laughs> Nobody says that, right? So, like, but we all want peace. But to our surprise, there are certain things in the world that are peace takers. Like, we want to be peacemakers, right? But there are peace takers. And one of the first things that we can do to take peace away is we try to control. You ever done this before? Try to control. You get a grip on the situation. I will create the peace. I will separate those that need to be separated. I talked about this last week. Um, And if you weren't here, where were you? Um, (laughs) Summary, we talked about the end of the world, so good luck. Don't miss church. (laughs) Uh, But I could sum it up with this. To our surprise, the Bible teaches us that you don't need control to have peace. You do not need control to have peace. Jesus says there are certain things that you will not have the answer to, but you will always know who's with you in those seasons of wondering, in those seasons of wandering, in those seasons of questioning, in those seasons of doubt. You will know I'm with you. But it's not for you to control. The word becomes human because we can't create peace on our own. We can't control it. When we try to control, what does it turn into? Controlling leads us to lashing out, right? You ever try to control somebody? Like on the road, they cut you off and you're just thinking, I know how I'll bring about peace. I'll pull up next to them and I'll just stare at them. <laughs> Anybody ever get the stare? Anybody ever deliver the stare? And we think, like, yeah, I'm doing something. And the person's looking like they honestly have no clue. What? <laughs> Do I have something in my teeth? They're like, Yeah, I'm showing you. You're just lashing out. Um, if you've come to Hope Ames for a while, you know that I like to talk about this stuff. Uh, My sister is an occupational therapist. Her husband is a doctor. um, And so I love to learn from them, and I love to learn from people who work in the things uh, that they work in. Um, So I'm not a psychologist by any means whatsoever, but I do like to learn from people who learn and teach about psychology, and you can find some things online. So take this with a grain of salt, but here's what I've learned. When you find yourself in a position of non-peace, right? When things are out of control, when you feel incomplete, when you're feeling anxious when you're feeling scared, whatever that might be, something in your body starts to take over. And it's your central nervous system. I think something that's so cool about our bodies is we don't always give credit to God for everything that he's doing inside of us at one time. Like God created you. He created your fingers. He created your wrists. He created things that seem worthless, like your elbows. But then you try to eat your macaroni and cheese without elbows. You're like, ah, it's impossible. God does so much, including through your central nervous system. And when we're feeling like we're not at peace, when we feel like we're in danger, when we feel like we're incomplete, the central nervous system sparks up. Now, there are a lot of different things that your central nervous system will subconsciously do, whether you can control it or not. I feel like I'm giving a science project presentation here. I'm just doing my best here. And oftentimes we hear about your your, your fight, your flight, or your freeze. And your central nervous system kicks on and before you can even control your, your central nervous system, your body starts to try to control the situations around you. Now, in a, some ways, like, that's good, right? It, it keeps you safe, and there's nothing necessarily wrong about that. But what happens when you try to control the things that you just can't control? Like another human being's heart. Like another human being's motives. Quite frankly, like your own motives... Like the circumstances that are around you. Like the big stuff, right? I'm not just talking about the things that you want to show up under your Christmas tree so you make a perfect list. Aha, I made it perfectly, so now they have to give it to me, right? I'm talking about the things that we're not seeing at our Christmas tables anymore. Somebody who can't come this year because it's too far away, because they're too sick, or because they've passed. Something that you had last year that you don't have this year. The job that you thought was so secure. Something that you always wanted, but now it feels like it's never coming. God, when are you going to bless me with that family? When's that going to happen for me? There are some things that we just can't control. We need God to come down. When God says, I'm coming down, He's not fulfilling a threat. He's hearing what our souls are crying out for. He's hearing you. He's not punishing you. He's completing you. He's fulfilling you. He's giving you what you want for Christmas, but what you need in your life. Doesn't mean the troubles go away, because this side of heaven, God in troubles Seem to always exist in the same place, don't they? It doesn't mean that the troubles have any power over God. They don't. Read your Bible. See that when God shows up, He has power over the troubles. We don't know why or how. He chooses to deal with those troubles all of the time. But we do know that He exists in those places. What's that doing for your confidence? What's that doing for your faith? I know that one of the other gut reactions that sometimes we have, like I said, there's, fl- there's fight, and then there's flight, right? So instead of control, maybe that fails. The next thing that we do is we worry. Anxious thoughts are such a trip, aren't they? When we feel like we're out of control, so rather than doing anything at all, we just sit back and we kind of disappear, We're kind of scared. Control makes us lash out on people. Worry makes us freak out inside our own head. It makes us scared. Do not forget. The word became human. God heard you in the basement. And he wasn't going to leave you down there in ruins. God doesn't come down to fulfill a threat. God shows up. To fulfill our lives. To give us meaning. To give us completeness. To give us wholeness. To give us peace. To give us what we truly need. To give us a light. You heard this in the passage this morning. It's in Isaiah chapter 9. It gives a promise to those people who are living without peace. People who are living missing something. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You know, it's interesting. Oftentimes when we talk about light and darkness, we talk about how light always extinguishes darkness, and there's truth to that, right? Like, there's truth to that. Where light shows up, the darkness disappears, and that's wonderful, and that's beautiful. But the truth is, is while the light is existing, you don't notice the dark, but the dark is still there. Like, I don't want to get too philosophical here because I'm not good at that. But as long as the light is still there, you don't notice the darkness, but as soon as the light disappears, the darkness reappears, and you're like, oh, it is dark. And you realize, no matter how much light could be created by this earth, there's not enough light here on this planet for me to see enough to be safe. The light that I need comes from somewhere outside of this earth. Yes, in a physical way from the sun, but in a much more important way, in a spiritual sense, the darkness that exists here, it cannot be lit by the things that I can control and it cannot be created from a place of worry. It can only happen when the God of the universe becomes flesh and he shows up and he shines a light into my darkness. The darkness is real, but so is God's light. And God promises to show up with that light And he promises to stay. In Isaiah chapter 9, it continues and it says, His government and its peace will never end. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? His government and its peace will never end. In John chapter 1, verse 5, it says, The light shines into the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. We're talking about eternity here. Not something that starts when you die, but instead acknowledges today, right now. You are an eternal being. Your existence does not stop from here on out. And sometimes that can be so scary because we've been led to believe that darkness always outlasts light. You know that, right? Like we say, wherever light shows up, it extinguishes darkness, right? We say that, we believe that. But the truth is there is not a single light in the history of this universe that has outlasted the darkness. Go ahead, take a look at every single light in this room. Look at the lights on the trees. Look at the lights in the aisles. Look at the lights outside. Look at the light in the sky. Look at the stars at night. You know, in the history of the universe, darkness has been undefeated so far. Every single light eventually burns out. Today, we're kind of spoiled. We don't really notice that, do we? Like, we live in the day and age of electricity, so we can flip on a switch whenever we want. But back in those days, when they heard this, the light shines into the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. They were shocked. No, at the end of the night, my lantern goes out. I will need more oil in the morning so I can see again. See, back in those days, people didn't seem like they had the same problem with denial that we have these days. All we have to do is flip on a switch. We say, ah, see, everything's fine. So we control or we numb. And at the base of it, what it really is, is we're in denial. And it's a peacetaker. I want to communicate a word to you this morning. You don't have to be afraid of the trouble in your life. The trouble will come. Jesus promises that. John 16, chapter 33. I'm telling you these things. I promise you, the trouble will come. In this world, you will have troubles. But He doesn't stop there, He says, take heart. In the world, you will have troubles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Isn't that spectacular? Isn't that amazing? Jesus doesn't just say, I've overcome the troubles. He says, I've overcome the thing that the troubles exist within. In the world, you'll have troubles, and I've overtaken the world, which holds the troubles. Do you see how big God is? You see how strong God is? You don't have to live with this fear. God understands why we're afraid. God understands why we can't create our own peace. God understands why we can't control it. God understands why we fall back into worry. God understands why sometimes we're so fed up with it that we just deny. And we deny when we've gotten to a place. where I've already tried lashing out. I've already tried freaking out. And now I'm just checking out. I'm just numbing myself. I don't want to feel anything at all. I'm missing so much anyway. What's left inside of me? Why can't I feel anything? When's Christmas gonna show up for me? I don't feel jolly this year. What's happening? Everybody talks about the Christmas spirit. You feeling like you're in the Christmas spirit yet? Man, I don't know. It's gonna be 70 degrees this week. Christmas, what? heard on the radio this week like i hear every single year it's beginning to look a lot like christmas i'm looking outside like no it no it's not you try to turn up the music louder right just denying uh yep christmas christmas listen even when the music can't do it even when the weather doesn't cooperate even when you don't have enough time to put up your Christmas lights, even when you don't have enough time to get all your shopping done, even when all the shopping wasn't done for you and you didn't get what you really wanted for Christmas, whether that's something materialistically or materially or if that's something deeper, like a person, like a relationship, like a dream, like a promise, you still have a God who became flesh. And no matter what is under your tree this year, no matter who is at your table, you have a God who shows up to that place. And th- this is good news. This is good news because God is not a peacetaker. God is a peacemaker, and He invites us to join us in, to join Him in that. God is a peacemaker, and God invites us. Not not. Don't stop here. Instead of control, we have to surrender. When was the last time you tried surrendering? When was the last time you felt out of control and you sat back and said, that's okay? How much are you trying to get done before Christmas this year? How much are you trying to get done before the end of the year? How many people are you trying to impress right now? How many people in the family are you just trying to create peace with and you just can't do it quite yet? God says, give those to me. He doesn't tell you what he's going to do with it yet, but he says, give those to me and trust that I'm the God who doesn't come down to threaten you, but I'm the God who comes down to complete you. Give those to me and let me show you what I can do with those things in your life. Surrender them to me. Stay away from your worry. You don't need it. The worry doesn't do anything. We know that. The worry doesn't do anything, but instead of worrying, you can trust me. And in your trust, you no longer have to deny the bad things. You no longer have to deny the darkness but instead you can experience my light and you can know that it's real. There's something really neat about the promises that Jesus makes. Jesus said, I promise that you're going to have troubles in this world. There are other passages when Jesus says, I'm telling you this so that when those things do happen, you won't lose your faith. What Jesus is saying is, when the bad things happen in your life and you think those are the things that should send you running into doubt, that should send you running into worry, that should send you running into denial, that should send you running into maybe try to have some control over the situation, instead of falling into those places where you're a taker, when bad things happen to you and you're tempted to stay away from me, when you're tempted to reject me, when you're tempted to doubt me, when you're tempted to forget me, instead, when you run into the trouble in your life, because I promised that it would happen, you will think, uh, Jesus told me this was going to happen. And if he would tell me the truth about the tough things in my life, certainly he must be telling me the truth about the good things. If someone's willing to tell you the truth about the tough things, about the troubles, aren't they going to tell you the truth about the victory? Jesus tells you the truth. He promises you these things. The word does become flesh. And for the first time in all of history, the light is outlasting the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. There will be a day when your troubles don't have to live in the same space as your faith. There will be a day when the anxieties are gone. There will be a day when your depression dissolves. Jesus doesn't promise it's going to happen in this life. But in this, season, in this season of Advent, and Advent literally means the arrival, we are awaiting the arrival, the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of this peace, the arrival of this completion. In the waiting, you can surrender, you can trust, and you can know. I'll finish with this. A couple of weeks ago I talked about and I, I, I keep talking about him. Um, and uh, my uncle died a year and a half ago. I, I keep telling you all this. And, um, but, you, you know, I mean, it's holiday season. And, and when somebody who's so close to you dies, it just, you, you think of them that time of year. Um, and then it's pretty hard. I, I just talked about him coming into Thanksgiving. And so I'm, I'm talking about him again. And it's really on my mind because it was just a couple weeks ago that we finally were able to have his funeral in Chicago. Um, because the COVID pandemic delayed that. Um, but it was good to have that closure. It was good to have that experience with my family. It was hard. It was sad. And in some ways, a lot harder than I thought that it would be, but it was good. And um, we told stories about my uncle. He battled some really hard things in his life before the ALS. He battled some really hard things in his life. Then he was diagnosed with ALS, and things got really, really hard, really really dark. And when you suffer from ALS, you start to lose control. So what do you do next? Do you worry? Do you deny that it's happening? I wasn't with my uncle when he was diagnosed, but my parents were when he received the final diagnosis. And they talked about what he said. One of the things that he said um, was a question And he asked the doctor, he looked the doctor in the eye and he said, What's it gonna be like? What will it be like? I don't don't think I'd have the courage to ask that question. And the doctor, in brutal detail, describes exactly what's going to happen to his body. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened to his body. He was losing control, he was missing ability. But at the very end of his life, my mom was with him on the last day that he lived, 15 minutes about before he died. He looked at my mom, and he said, Jesus is always with you. And Jesus is always with me. And then she left. And that was the last thing anyone heard him say. And if anything sums him up, I just, I think that's it. And that gives me so much peace. Because we waited and we waited and we prayed and we prayed for, a, for, a, for, for his healing. Not even necessarily for his healing, but just, my goodness, for a delay, for goodness sake. And it didn't come, it didn't happen. We were waiting. What's missing God, what are we not doing? Why can't we create peace? And it brings me so much peace to know that even in those last 15 minutes of his life, he wasn't alone. He had just told my mom. Jesus is with me. Jesus is with you. The troubles are here, but Jesus is with you. The pain exists, but Jesus is with you. The darkness is real, but Jesus is with you. And someday, someday, all those things will go away but Jesus will still be with you. And Jesus will be with every single person you've ever loved, every single thing that you've ever lost and so desperately wanted back. He's returning to you. So today we wait. Today maybe it feels like something's missing, but the word has become flesh. God came downstairs not to fulfill a threat, but to fulfill our lives, to give you completion, and to give you peace. Amen. Let's stand on up and sing a song.